Today we continue in our series that we started last Sunday called The Discipleship Pathway. And uh, one of the most strategic message series I think we'll see uh, here in the near future is this one, right? Because it's so important for us to understand what God calls us to as we place our faith in Jesus. We begin a journey with Him, right? Many of you started that journey with Christ. You remember the day that you prayed and gave your life to Jesus. Uh, Whether you're a little child or whether you're an adult, you remember the circumstances that surrounded it. And uh, you know for sure, right, many of you, that you are a believer, you are a follower of Christ because you were there when you gave your life to Christ, when you trusted Him. Well, at that point, you started a brand new journey with God. You started a relationship, but it was a journey. Every journey has a pathway, and that discipleship, or that pathway we're calling the discipleship pathway. And so last Sunday, we started the series. Today, we're going to continue it, looking at the elements of what the disciples' pathway looks like, and then how that unpacks as well for us as a church family, kind of how we help you along that journey as you walk in your relationship with Jesus. So if you've never given your life to Christ, that is the, as I said at the beginning, that's the most important decision that you'll make. The, the only decision you'll make in your life that's going to last forever is going to be your decision about what you do with the person of Jesus. And so our greatest desire is to see people come to a relationship with Christ up in our children's ministry and our student ministry, uh, certainly in all of the adult ministries we do. Our hope and our desire for you is that you place your faith in Christ if you haven't already and, uh, and that you begin that, that awesome journey, that amazing journey of what it means to walk with him in relationship. I'm going to give you a few principles today as we, um, as we move through what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. And I hope you'll jot these down. I think they're all going to begin to fit together and we're heading towards an application at the very end. The first principle is this, that nowhere in the Bible, nowhere in the, in the, in the scriptures at all, from beginning to end, do we ever see this picture or this option of knowing Jesus and then remaining stagnant or unchanged in our lives. Nowhere in the Bible is that ever listed in an option, as an option. Nowhere does Jesus ever say, hey, I call you to myself, turn from your sin, place your faith in me and begin to follow me. And then after that, hey, just kick it in cruise control and then we'll see you in heaven, right? Nowhere do we ever see that. It's not commanded. It's not implied. It's not embodied in the lives of the early believers that we read of in the scriptures. Nowhere do we see the option of knowing Christ in a relationship, following him, and then ultimately being stagnant or unchanged. No, the nature of our Christian life is that once we place our faith in Jesus, yes, there are going to be some dips. Yes, there are going to be valleys. Yes, there are going to be times where we are dry and we feel like we're not growing. Those are going to come. That is natural. That is normal. If you're there right now, that is normal, right? Every Christian has been to that season, but how you navigate that is going to be so important, right? We've all been through those dry seasons in our Christian lives, but it's kind of like what you hope for the stock market in the midst of the peaks and the valleys, right? You're hoping that it's going to be an upward incline and an upward trajectory. That's what you're hoping for. That's what our Christian life should look like. There are going to be valleys. There are going to be dips. There are going to be times that come that are very difficult where we don't feel so close to God, where we struggle. That's going to come but we want an upward trajectory of growth in our relationship with God. We want our relationship with God to be marked not only by knowing him deeply on the inside, right? Jesus said in John 10, 10, I've come to give you life, to give it to you more abundantly, right? God wants you to have an abundant life. That's one part of it, but there's, there's that other aspect of our Christian journey that is the outside part, not just knowing him more deeply on the inside, but being engaged in his mission, right, that he calls us to, on the outside. Both of those are so important. Both of those are part of the disciples' pathway. And so never do we have an option of just coasting and cruising and becoming stagnant and becoming unchanged in our Christian life. I wouldn't even go so far as to say, 
that if your life, since you, since you began a relationship with God, whatever you felt like that looked like, if you prayed a prayer, you know, or, uh, if you remember uh, asking Christ to come in, forgive you, and save you, but there's been no change over your life, and I'm not talking about just weeks or months. I'm talking about like for years and maybe even decades, right? That is not the nature of the Christian life, to pray a little prayer, walk a little aisle, get a little wet in a baptistry, and then be completely, totally unchanged from that point forward. That is not the norm right? That's not the picture. I would say if that's characteristic of your Christian journey, you may have missed the first step potentially, right? There has to be some some serious consideration of have I truly surrendered my life? Because when Jesus is given control, he starts changing things, right? He starts growing us and we work in unison. We work in conjunction along with that. Nowhere in the Bible do we ever see an option for us just to remain stagnant or for us to remain unchanged. And so we've been walking through this series called the Discipleship Pathway. The first step is that relationship with God, but then there are other steps along the pathway. The journey starts with Jesus, but as we grow in discipleship, that's the norm. This is what the pathway looks like. There's a portion, top left here, uh, or you can see it on your newsletter as well, where we're called to faithfully worship. We unpacked that last Sunday, that we gather together. Hebrews chapter 10 says to not forsake the assembling of ourselves to get to, to together, right? To, to, to gather up and to worship him collectively. There's a reason that the world, right? When you look at these communist countries, as I said last Sunday, when you look at communist countries, atheistic countries, there's a reason they don't want the church to gather, right? There's a reason the church is forced underground. Why? Because those governments know what can happen when believers devoted to Jesus gather together publicly, right? Gather together corporately, right? God's work is accomplished by, through that first step. So we talked about faithfully worshiping. That's this part, right? So if you're here today, reach over your shoulder, pat yourself on the back because you've accomplished this first one. Now, however many years you've got left on this earth, do it every single Sunday, all right? So that, that's the first part. So the second part of the discipleship pathway uh, is connecting in community through classes and through groups. We're going to camp out there a little bit today. Next Sunday, we're going to look at what it means to make disciples. Jesus had a lot to say about that, not just in his words. He modeled it through his ministry. The disciples modeled it through their ministry. The early church modeled it in its ministry, right? So next Sunday, we're going to talk about making disciples. And then the last Sunday of this month, we're going to talk about what it means to live on mission. Again, there's an inside component to our walks with God, and there's an outside component to our walks with God. Today, Let's talk about this other step, connecting in community. And the way we do that here, as I'll talk about in just a, just a bit, <clears throat> are through classes and through groups. So every single one of these four segments, right, every single one of them, faithfully worshiping, connecting in community, making disciples, living on mission, all of those work together. All of them work together. And when they're present in a, in a Christian's life, it's just simply called the discipleship pathway. It forms us into being more devoted and more effective followers of Jesus. So I've got a little game here I brought to church. Now, we can't all play this. You're just going to have to watch as I play it. This is a, a cheap man's version of Jenga. It's called Jumbling Tower, all right? Sounds exciting, doesn't it? You know, it's kind of like going to the grocery store. You don't buy... Um, frosted flakes you buy like you know what sugar flakes or it's it's fruit rings not fruity fruity whatever the round parts are right so this is the knockoff version this is the jumbling tower so I'm going to move my stuff over here and I'm going to play a little game here and you're going to watch and we're going to make an application and uh and I'm going to make a big old mess and uh and it's going to be fun because I don't get to make messes in church very often so this is the most important part you know what let me move this 
I like playing games in church. All right, here we go. This is the most important part. This is kind of like the salvation part here, right? You got to get this part right. Oh, there we go. Boom, there you go. All right, that's the game. That's all it is. Let me put it back up. All right, so jumbling tower. (laughs) Any of you got a Jenga? I'm just curious. Any of you? All right. Those of you that don't, we'll sell you this one for $29.95. All right, so... So the whole, the whole scope of this thing, I mean, you know how it works is, this is kind of like our lives too, isn't it? You know, it's not perfectly straight. There's some leans to it. There's some, there's some rough edges, right? It's kind of like our lives in a lot of ways. Uh, but the goal of this game is to obviously, I mean, if you've never seen it, and I'm going to assume most of you have, but for those that maybe, ha- maybe haven't, I mean, it's, the, it's to pull out the, uh, you know, the pieces in a way so that when it's your turn, the whole thing doesn't come crashing down. Every piece is here strategically. Every piece is important. Every piece carries a function, and yet if you pull out the wrong piece, right, a piece that is, that is necessary, then the whole thing is going to crash. And so what you often do is you kind of you tap and you begin to find out uh, which pieces you can kind of do without, and you play it a little bit, and if it's a little bit tight, then you leave it, like that one. Uh, maybe I can try over here. You know, you know what's interesting is the enemy, the enemy likes to tap around in your life too. Do you know that? Never made a mess like that in church before. It's going to get better. And so, so the enemy likes to nose around and tap around, and he's looking for weak spots in your life also. It's real important as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus, that as we walk with Christ down that journey, right, down that discipleship pathway, it's important that we have every piece in place because every piece is, is vital. Worshiping together is a part of the body of Christ. He tells us to do it for a reason. There's a vital component to that. In a lot of ways, the effectiveness of our walk with Jesus in some ways, is dependent. The effectiveness of our walk with Jesus is dependent on worshiping together. That's why it tells us not to forsake doing that. So as you, as you kind of push around here in this little game, you realize there are some pieces that seemingly you can do without, at least as of right now. But later on, you're going to find out they, they were a little bit more valuable. So you just kind of keep pushing and moving. This sermon at this rate is going to last until about 2 p.m. And um, <laughs> so we're blazing through this, through this message. And so so it's designed to play as a group. I'm just doing it individually to demonstrate. It's starting to, starting to get a little look to it, right? And uh, in fact, if you, if you pull out, like I said, if you, if you pull out the wrong one, it, it, might not, it might not go so well. Let's just try. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just going to go for broke. All right. Something else I've never done. There we go. So mission, Amanda, y'all be careful when you come up and close out with that last little song. So there, there's a little bit of a demonstration. I mean, we've all played this before, right? We know how the game works, but here's the thing. Uh, again, if you take out the wrong piece, the whole entire structure suffers as a result. It just seemed to be just this little tiny insignificant piece. But if the wrong piece is removed, the whole thing is ultimately affected to the negative. The whole thing comes crashing down. Here's the thing. As we look at the discipleship pathway, there are four components as we unpack them. There are other aspects to being a disciple. There are a lot of other aspects. But for us, what our role is as a church is to help put these pieces on the, on the table for you so that you can, 
have what you need to grow in your relationship with God. And so, if it's important for us to gather together and worship, well, we do worship services, right? How convenient. You don't have to go out in your front yard and, you know, scream and holler for everybody to come to your house because church is at your house that day. No, we present this for you. If, if, if you're called to grow in community, if that's going to be a, an important part, as we're going to see in just a second, well, we as a church want to give ways for you to do that. If it's important to make disciples, we as a church want to help facilitate that. If it's important to live on mission, we want to give you ways to help do that most effectively. We want to provide opportunities for you to live on mission. Every one of those are so important. And here's the thing. If one of them is missing, if one of them is removed, uh, or even worse, a couple of them or three of them are removed, listen, you at best are going uh, to come to a place where you are stagnant in your journey as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus, or maybe even at worst, you're going to ultimately uh, be missing in action, right? Or, or you're going to get taken down by the hardships that come in life. Every piece is important, right? And your journey as a believer, that, that, that maturity that God wants to build into your life, it, it's, it's so vital that we are doing what the discipleship pathway dictates for us, right? That comes right out of Scripture, that we are gathered together in worship, that we are connected together, that we are making disciples. Jesus made a big deal of that, that we are living on mission. They're all important. And where one's missing, it's just a matter of time, more often than not, to where we're going to suffer as a result of it. So how important is it? Let's just look at this whole topic of connecting in community. How important is it that we truly connect, that we're a part of not just the big gathering, but we're a part of a small group Bible study? Here we call those grow groups. How important is it? In fact, let me just ask this question. Do you think there's honestly, truly, any connection between being engaged with other believers in a small group and being consistent in attending and being engaged with that church at large over a long period of time. There was a study that was done, Tom Rayner mentioned this about a year and a half ago, I came across it, uh, a study that was done where they tracked over a period of years the consistency of people who were engaged in church. Not just attending and showing up and checking a box, right? It's never about that, it's about being engaged. There was a study done that they tracked those who were part of a small group and they tracked those who were not part of a small group and how it impacted their engagement in their church at large. And what they found was that for those who are part of a small group, the, the, the likelihood increased five times, right? They were five times more likely to still be engaged in that church five years down the road if they were part of a small group. If a person wasn't a part of a small group, there was a greater likelihood that somewhere along that five years, it may be a hardship that comes, it may be a tragedy that comes, it may be some temptation that takes them out, but those would be less likely to still be engaged in worshiping God publicly, engaged in their church. Those people who were not connected in community were less likely, five times less likely to still be a part of that church five years down the road. But those in groups, five times more likely to still be engaged. It's a simple principle that when we are engaged, when we are engaged specifically with others, we're able to then begin to grow oftentimes more deeply than if we just try to walk the Christian life alone as a Lone Ranger follower of Jesus, as a Lone Ranger Christian. In fact, there's a second principle here I want to give you, and I hope you'll jot this down. And I really hope you'll chew on this through the course of this week and tell me if you think I'm wrong. <clears throat> because I'd like to have conversation around it. But the principle is this, that when you think about our lives changing on the inside after knowing Jesus, right? He makes the biggest change of all. He gives us a new nature when we place our faith in him. But life change after a relationship with God happens most often in the context of relationships. 
When you read through Scripture, what you see is, is that life change that would happen in people's lives most often, more often than not, would happen in the context of relationships. Now think about how Jesus did this. Jesus modeled this for us really, really clearly. And he did it by choosing for himself, what, 12 disciples. When he chose those 12 disciples, he did not interact with them just on a one-on-one basis. It wasn't as though he went and it's like, all right, it's Tuesday, 1 p.m. Simon Peter, this is your time for us to engage. And then, you know, Wednesday at 3 p.m., it's like, okay, I'm leaving Simon Peter. Now I've got to come over here. I got, this is my time for Andrew every week. He didn't deal with them individually. In fact, I would be hard-pressed to give you a lot of examples of anywhere in the, in the Gospels where we see Jesus having one-on-one ministry alone with any of his disciples. You don't see really hardly any examples of that much at all. What you see, however, is Jesus engaging with his disciples collectively as a group, as a community. And he did it in interesting fashion because when you look at the makeup of those 12 disciples, one of those 12 disciples by the name of Simon, not Simon Peter, but the one known as Simon the Zealot, right? He would have been, by virtue of his title, he would have been opposed to Roman rule. Now, another one of his disciples that Jesus chose was a disciple by the name of Matthew. What was Matthew's job according to scripture? He was a tax collector. Well, tax collectors were sellouts to the Roman government. They would gouge their own people, their their own Jewish people. If they were Jewish by nature, they would gouge their own people so that they could pad their pockets corruptly as a result of working for the Roman government. So think about this. Let's put these together for a second. Jesus chooses his 12 disciples. One of them he chooses is a man named Simon, a zealot opposed to Roman rule. Another disciple is a man named Matthew, the tax collector, who's a sellout working for the Romans. Imagine how much fun that would have been for them to have a little small group gathering. And I wonder if there were times when Jesus would call them together for a meal and he would say, all right, boys, I'll tell you what, Simon, uh, not you, Peter, Simon, the zealot guy, you come, you're going to sit here and, uh, hey, Matthew, we got an open seat right next to him. Why don't you sit right there? And it's this picture of community that Jesus paints. Even in the choosing of his own disciples, he paints for us this picture of connecting together in community. And when Jesus would ultimately move forward in his ministry, he would begin to not just train those guys, but release them and send them out to do ministry, not individually so much as it would be together. It's this picture of them connecting and accomplishing the mission as they would connect together in community and do it together. Jesus would die, he would rise, he would ascend back to the Father. And what you would then begin to see is that it's those same disciples, 11 of the 12. It was a 91.66% success rate. Ask Siri, I asked her just yesterday, what percentage is 11 of 12? Don't do it now, that'd be awkward because we'd probably all hear it. That's pretty good success rate, the way Jesus did it pouring into a community, pouring into a group. And when he left and he went to heaven, it's those same guys, 11 of the 12, that would continue to promote the gospel, to continue to advance the gospel. They would advance the kingdom to the point to where it didn't die. It it, it continued forward through the decades, through the centuries, to you. To where the gospel made it one day to where you were. For me, it was in my backyard as a little kid. Wherever it was for you, I have no idea. But it made it to you because those guys continued to advance it and God promoted it through them in community. In fact, when you think about it, God has always been about relationship, hasn't he? I mean, when he created in the very beginning, he created Adam and Eve. He created Adam first, right on the heels of that, created Eve, puts together the first human institution. What's that marriage? What would form out of that? Family. It's about connecting, relationships. 
You move through the Old Testament, you get to the book of Exodus, you see that God calls a specific people aside out from all the other nations. They're the Jewish nation. They're called in Exodus for the first time a congregation. They're viewed as a community. Relationship has always been important to God. You would see that begin to move through the rest of the Old Testament, this community of God. You trace them through their ups and downs through the rest of the Old Testament, and you get to the New Testament. Jesus comes, he calls his disciples, as I just mentioned, and ultimately uh, the gospel moves forward. Believers place their faith in Jesus. They're now pockets of Christians that are scattered all over that part of the world. People like Paul and Barnabas are missionaries that are spreading the message of the gospel. And as it moves from city to city, what's happening? Little pockets of what the Bible calls ecclesia, uh, uh, called out ones, begin to form. The church begins to form. And you see individually from city to city in Ephesus and, and uh, in Philippi, and all the different cities of that region, you see little, little pockets of believers, not just individually wrapped, left to do their own Lone Ranger Christian thing. No, they become part of community. They become a part of the church. And it's the church that then begins to advance the gospel together. And as they advance the gospel, as I mentioned, it comes ultimately to us. God has always been about community. He's always been about relationship. And what's really interesting, if you add another layer on top of that, when you look back to the Old Testament to Exodus, uh, and you see God calls his people a community, he calls them a congregation there in Exodus, he also give, gave them a place where he could visually present himself, present himself. It was called the tabernacle, and, and he gave specific instructions that they would construct this tabernacle out in the wilderness, and then God would fill it with what? He'd fill it with his glory, he'd fill it with his presence, and the people would be able to see when the presence of God was right there in his midst. He wasn't comfortable being distant. He wasn't comfortable being away. He wanted to be there amongst his people. Why? Because relationship and community is so incredibly important to God. You move further through the Old Testament and God begins to give kings to the people of Israel because they wanted kings and he gives them he gives them kings, he gives them Saul, and he gives them David, and he gives them Solomon. Solomon decides, hey, I'm going to build a temple. Actually, David was the one who wanted to. Solomon was the one who built it. And they construct this ornate, elaborate temple for God to dwell in there, kind of in the middle part of the, of the, uh, of the Old Testament, beginning a thousand years or so before Jesus. And, and what does God do when the temple is constructed? He fills it. What does he fill it with? He fills it with his glory, fills it with himself. Because God has always been about relationship. He's always been about connection and community. You then move even further into the New Testament. John begins to write his gospel. Look at what John says in the book of John chapter 1. This is really interesting, kind of adding another layer to this conversation about relationship and how God has always been about relationship. John chapter 1 and verse 1 John writes and he says, in the beginning was the Word, that's a capital W, it's a reference to Jesus, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He says, in the beginning, this is before time. This is, in a sense, here's a deep thought, right? Um, I don't know if the nine o'clock crowd could handle this because it was so, would have been so early for them. Uh, but here's a deep thought. So uh, before creation, there really was no time because when you're eternal, as God is, there, time doesn't exist. It's just forever. All right, I told you that would that make your brain hurt a little bit. The Bible says in the beginning, before there was any concept of time, in eternity past, the Bible says that there was the Word. It's a, pre, it's a reference to Jesus, reference to His deity. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. How do we know this is Jesus? We're going to see it in verse 14 in just a second. But before we get there, just think about this. As long as Jesus, as long as the Word was with the Father, right? There's limited benefit for the rest of us down here on earth once he creates. 
As long as the word stays in heaven, there's limited benefit for us. But what does verse 14 say? Verse 14 <clears throat> tells us clearly who the word is and what he did. It says, and the word became flesh. Think Christmas. Think Luke chapter 2. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. John even goes further to say, and we saw his glory. Remember how the glory of God filled the tabernacle, the glory of God filled the temple. We saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. There's so much packed into that verse. The word dwelt in the Greek language in which it was originally written can be translated tabernacled. That the word Jesus, God himself, tabernacled among us. Some say it could even be, it could be translated as pitched his tent among us what's the picture that in the same way that god in the beginning formed adam and eve gave them this institution of community called marriage and family in the same way that he called the people of israel into a community called a congregation and he gave them a tabernacle and filled it with his presence and in the same way he presented to them a temple and he filled it with his presence it's in that same way to the biggest degree that he presented himself in the clearest way through the person of jesus Jesus came and he pitched his tent and he tabernacled amongst us. Why? So Not so that we can just see him, worship him from a distance, right, from afar, but so that we can know him intimately because he walked among us. And what the New Testament teaches after the church is born in Acts chapter 2, and as it begins to grow, it tells us, in, beginning in Acts chapter 2, at Pentecost, when Peter preached, that when a person now, for you and me included, when we give our lives to Jesus, God doesn't just stay a, a, at a distance even then, but he comes to live within us in the person of the Holy Spirit. So that we can always say, God is always with me. Never am I ever apart from God in my relationship. He's always been about relationship. He's always been about connecting. That's, that's where the heart of God is. And so when we look at what, it look, what the discipleship journey looks like, what the discipleship's pathway looks like, doesn't it make sense that he calls us then to community? Doesn't it make sense that he calls us not to be, again, a bunch of individually wrapped and packaged Christians doing life on our own. He calls us to be like a bowl of spaghetti, right? In there in the mix together, doing life together, walking the same journey together so that we can encourage one another, so that we can love one another, so that we can support one another, so that we can be devoted to one another, so that we can correct one another, so that we can partner together in the mission of the gospel, so, so that we can do all of that. It makes perfect sense that God as part of the disciples' journey, is calling us together as community. One of the saddest things to see in a local church, this one included, is when we have a service that may be, be maybe it's packed out, maybe it's medium-sized, whatever it may be, right? But to see a service, and when the service ends, everybody just kind of leaves in their own individual way and never connects with anybody else. It's one of the saddest things that you can see. And that's, that's kind of where our lives are anyway, Right? We get home from work, what's the first thing we do? Hey, I'm guilty. You reach in the visor, or you reach down a little thing, you pull out the garage door opener, hit the button, garage door opens, pull the car in, garage door closes, out of pocket the rest of the night. It kind of says, well, leave me alone. Walk out in our yard, nice little privacy fence, six foot, eight foot tall. It kind of says, leave me alone. If you've ever flown on a plane recently, you get on that plane, first thing that goes in, right? If you want to go old school, it's the Walkman, right? <laughs> I 
That's old school. I don't recommend it. Put the AirPods in. Hey, listen, they'll even give them to you now. Right? They'll give them to you. Hey, would you like them? Put them in. Oh, yes, thank you. Free. They don't work anywhere else, just there on their plane, right? That says, leave me alone. That's our tendency. But the Bible shows us that if we're going to be true followers of Jesus, not only living the abundant life on the inside, but living an effective Christian life on the outside, listen, it's not enough just to gather together like this to worship. There has to be the next step of connecting in community. And so much is missed and so much is lost whenever we don't do that. Look at some of the words that are used in the Bible to, to support this and to, dis, to, to, to just uh, give, give some structure to this. Look with me <clears throat> over in the book of Acts chapter 20. In the book of Acts, right, this is chronicling many of the journeys that Paul, the greatest missionary that ever lived, journaling a lot of the, the trips and the ministry events and the churches that were planted as a result of his, of his efforts. Look at what it says here in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Listen to the terminology that's used. Paul here is speaking to a group of the elders, the pastors, you could say, in the city of Ephesus. Acts 20, verse 28, he says to them as he prepares to leave, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. Right? What, what, a, what, a, what a beautiful picture, a picture, this, this terminology, this imagery that comes out of that word flock. It's this picture literally of, of a flock of sheep, right, uh, working together, living together in community. He says, be on guard for yourselves for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God. He equates the church with this flock which he purchased with his own blood. It's not a picture of individually wrapped Christians. It's this picture of a group that are connected together. Look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul's going to write here to the believers in the city of Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Start down in verse 13, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. He says, for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. Let's use that imagery again. The body is not just a group of individually wrapped and sealed believers that it exist in isolation from one another no we, we are we are a body we are a group that are designed to live life engaged with one another verse 15 he says speaking of the human body as an example if the foot says well because i'm not a hand i'm not a part of the body it's not for this reason any the less a part of the body or if an ear says because i'm not an eye i'm not a part of the body it's not for this reason any the less a part of the body if the whole body were an eye where would the hearing be if the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members but one body. Did you hear the word body there? He said it ten times. Ten times. Just in those verses, verse 13 through 20. And it's this picture that Paul is communicating to the church in Corinth that you're not just a bunch of individually wrapped Christians doing your own Christian journey on your own. You are a body. And if one of you is missing, it makes a difference. If one of you is disengaged, it makes a difference. So much so, it would be as though one of your ears quit working or one of your eyes decided to take a break right? It's that significant. You are a body. You go to what Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3. He gives yet another 
word picture of this whole community, this relationship that believers are to have with one another. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, he says, I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. Paul says, I want to come see you, Timothy, but in case I'm delayed, verse 15, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God right? There's another word picture, the household of God, this family. Oh, let me define it for you, Timothy, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. Paul says in so many different ways. He says the church is like a flock, the church is like a body, the church is like a household. There are many more images that are used in the New Testament as well. You can't get away from the fact that God's design is not just for us to come to know him through Jesus and then do our own Christian Lone Ranger journey on our own and then show up and worship him from a distance, right, to where we're disengaged from everybody else. Let's just be honest, you really aren't engaged with each other here. I mean, all you see is the back of the person's head in front of you, right? Not a whole lot of engagement there. It's not, his design is not that we just come here, do this, and then beat it out of here as fast as we can. It's that we do this together. We do life together. Because life change happens most often in the context of relationship. It's been the way God has operated ever since he created mankind. It's been the example that Jesus set whenever he called his first disciples. It's been the practice of the early church. It's been the command that God has given us. Community, 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 relationship, relationship, relationship. You come towards the close of the New Testament. John, we just read of him in John chapter 1. Listen what he writes in 1 John chapter 1 verse 3. You don't have to turn there for the sake of time, but just read it on the, on the screen behind me. 1 John chapter 1 verse 3. John says, what we've seen and heard, we proclaim to you also. Why? So that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. Two types of fellowship John mentions there. One with God, one with his followers. One with God, one with his followers. When you evaluate the fellowship in your life, how is your fellowship with God and how is your fellowship with his followers? He goes on a little bit further, verse 7, same chapter. He says, but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, We have fellowship with one another, right? Jesus is the common denominator for those who know him. We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Final principle, and we're done. We've talked about fellowship. We've talked about relationship. We've talked about community. We've talked about connecting. Principle number three, as we close this out, this section of it out, for us kind of to apply this to us as a church, that a way a church typically most often accomplishes and carries out the function of community is through their small groups. Again, because there's limited community here. You may have said, hey, before the service started, you might say, bye, when the service ends. Not a lot of community. Where community happens in our church, kind of the prime way, is through our grow groups. It's through our small groups. It's where relationships are built. I, I would go so far as to say, right now we're doing our prayer service online. If, if, we, if we had no formal prayer service at all in our church, I would go so far as to say prayer can still happen in vibrant ways through our grow groups, and it does. It's where you'd never say in here in a, in a group of however many this is, a couple hundred or whatever, but you'll say in a, in a small group, right? you'll say, hey, listen, can you pray for me? I'm having a really hard time. 
in this area of my life because they're family. It's where the big church gets small. It's where you go to grow deeper because you, you know, it'd be kind of weird if you started shooting rapid fire questions at me now as I'm preaching. That'd be a little bit awkward, right? But in a grow group, you, you go deeper in the word and you learn more about who God is and you learn about other people's experiences and their take on scripture and what God's taught them. And, and, and maturity begins to gain speed and you begin to grow a little bit further, not just because you show up and worship and gather together, but because you're engaged life on life. And yes, you can do that in other ways. I'm sure you've got Christian co-workers and you've got friends in your neighborhood and folks you work out with who share the same faith in Jesus and there's community there, that's great. But I'm just telling you, the best way to have that community is through a small group in the church where you, where you gather. And for us, that's here. You know, God has always been about relationship and he wants your relationship to be full and abundant God has always been about community. I think it's unmistakable. Hopefully, I've walked you through the scriptures in a way where you can see he's always been about community. And if you don't have it, you can find it here. Our desire is to make it easy. As soon as this service is done, uh, Jason, our equipping pastor, and I will head on out to the table out there. If you've got questions about being a part of a grow group, we'd love to help to plug you in. For you, you've got more options. If you come to this service, you've got more options because our grow groups for you primarily would meet at 9 o'clock. If you wanted to change your service time and come to the early church service, well, we've got a couple grow groups that meet right now, even during this service. Our children's ministry has grow groups that happen. Our student ministry has grow groups that happen. And it, it's, it's the, the logical next step that if we want to mature, in our walk with God, we got to have community. We were never meant to be the Lone Ranger Christian. We got to have community. The way we try to make that easy is through groups. So see us outside. Give us a call this week if you have a question. Shoot us an email, snag us in a hallway, but, but stop by today and we'd love to help you to see how you can plug into a group for yourself. If you've never started that journey with Jesus, the first step is to lay down that sin and invite him to forgive and take over. And I promise you from my experience, as well as from what he says in his word. If you yield it all to Christ, he'll be happy to take it up, forgive you, give you a new heart, and put you on a journey you wouldn't trade for anything. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, for the clarity of your word. Or sometimes it's in commands that we read that are so clear and unmistakable. Other times it's when we put together the pieces to form a picture, kind of as we've done today. Lord, we see this picture of community, that you're a God of relationship, that you revealed yourself most clearly through Jesus. There may be some here today that have never started that journey. The biggest decision, the first decision that they need to make is right now where they sit to pray and ask Jesus to forgive and to take over their lives, God, to forgive their sin, to wash it away, to give them a new heart, a new life, and a new relationship with you, God. He can do that because he's God. He can do that because he died to pay for that sin and he rose again and lives today and he's ready and able to take over every life that's yielded to him. But Lord, when we make that decision, God, nowhere do you call us to remain stagnant or unchanged, but rather the expectation, the assumption is that the believer, the Christian is going to begin to grow. We're on a new journey with a new path. And Lord, there are different stops along that path that are so important. One of those components is worshiping together because you tell us to do that. Worship is vital. Lord, it's the lifeblood of our walk with you in many ways. But God, you also tell us and you show us in your word that we need to also be connected because we are a body. Lord, we are a flock. We are a household. We are a family. 
that are identified by our relationship with you, never intended to, do, to go it alone, but always in unison with you, in step with your spirit, together with your people. And Lord, one of the greatest expressions of that is a local church. And so right here, we pray to see even more take that next step of engaging in community, of committing and connecting in community with one of our small groups, one of our grow groups. And so God, as we continue in this series and we see the importance of making disciples and living on mission, I pray that for all of us, it's more clear than ever to see what that pathway to discipleship looks like. Lord, give us the courage to always take the next step. And for every one of us in this room, No matter how long we've been in a relationship with Jesus, there is always a next step. Give us courage to take it for your glory so that we can have an abundant life on the inside and an effective life on the outside. For it's in Jesus' name we pray.